You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from the Mullane Haw Show on 6-7 of the score. Dan Weeder is from the Chicago Tribune, covers the Bears, back from U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Dan, we... Obviously saw the Bears win their fourth game of the season. You were in the locker room. Before we go there, because I think the reaction to a victory is something we're not used to having uh, anybody cover in Chicago. How would you answer people who ask you how important, what's the value of this victory for the Bears with five games remaining? Well, so – in order to extract meaning from a game that was as sloppy and uninspiring to watch as that one was, you have to kind of use that big picture lens and figure out what is meaningful beyond the next six weeks. And to that end, David, I think the value of that game was having a defense that has continued to climb uh, through the last you know month and a half, two months of the season and finished. They were the ones that got Justin Fields the ball back to go on that first game-winning drive. They were the ones that got the four takeaways. They were the ones that made life hell on Josh Dobbs all night long. And so when you're seeing this unit kind of playing whole, you know, as healthy as they've been since the summer and, and playing together, and then you have the addition of Montez Sweat increasing the pass rush, you see where that side of the ball is trending. You know, and like one of the things I thought about on my Uber drive back to the hotel late Monday night, I guess I guess it was Tuesday morning by the time I was in that car, was the idea that if if 
the most recent eight games had been the first eight games. Now, obviously, there's some overlap in there. How much different would our conversations be? How much different would our eye on the direction of this football team be? We both know that you can't cancel the the 0-4 start. You can't cancel that first month of the season. And it did significantly change the way we look at this football team. But right now, over this last stretch, in a lot of areas, they've been making the type of meaningful and undeniable growth that we wanted to see starting in early September. It was just delayed too long. And so now here we are. Here we are. And I guess my big picture takeaways from one victory, and remember, every game is a season unto itself. So every season has a kind of a narrative that unfolds. So here's the two things for me before we get into uh, the locker room report. I think that this defense has progressed and improved to the point where you know, it gives up 10 points against the Vikings. And you do start to wonder, statistically, the growth on the field, you see it. The takeaways are coming. The identity is emerging. You do start to wonder, number one, is it getting good enough to where it potentially could save Matt Eberflus's job? I, I do think that's a, a valid conversation moving forward something to keep an eye on i'm not saying it's realistic i'm not saying it's it's it may be more likely than not but i do think it's worth exploring and the second big takeaway is that justin fields obviously with the way he finished and the box he checked to me even with the two fourth quarter fumbles having a game-winning drive he allowed us to keep and us meaning you know media, fans, and maybe even people at Hall of Salt, he allowed the minds to stay open to what he may be capable of doing in the final five games. So there weren't any conclusions to be drawn on Justin Fields one way or another. And I think for the second game in a row, we're saying, all right, bought a little bit more time. And that right now is enough. So I listened to you and studs uh, and thought you guys summed up Monday night appropriately. Um, with what we saw in all phases. I'm curious if you have any different perspective after sleeping on it a day later in terms of what that game-winning drive actually was for Justin Fields in the offense, because I've had more time to kind of let it sink in and digest and have my own thoughts, but I'm just curious if anything changes for you overnight or, or what you kind of see in this moment as we're talking now was the true significance of that drive. Well, I think the true significance to me, maybe it hadn't changed, and I and that was late, but I want to be be uh, be sure that I remember correctly. I think that I, I think that it was to me, it outweighed the good, outweighed the bad, the positive outweighed the negative, without overstating either. I think you, you know you can't you can't fumble in the fourth quarter, and Justin yeah. Fields has to protect the football. We all know that, but I think what happened then in terms of the resilience he showed is not insignificant. The leadership quality is is a thing. And so when you take your team and you complete the 36-yard pass to DJ Moore, whether or not the Vikings were, you know, silly for dropping into coverage and stopping the blitzing and all the things, I, I think that he still, if we're going to say at the beginning of the season and throughout the year that Justin Fields still has yet to do what he did on Monday night in Minnesota, and then when he does it, then we're saying, well, we're not that impressed. I, I think we, I, I'm trying to stay consistent with that. So I do think that is a case where he, he allowed us to keep the conversation going. There are no conclusions to be drawn. And frankly, frankly, had he not done that and the two fumbles were the, were the biggest takeaways and they lost the game because they turned the ball over twice because of the quarterback, 
I think this would be a much different conversation. Yeah. So there's so much nuance to this. And I think it's important to kind of dive into that gray area for a little while. I obviously wrote all about the the completion to DJ Moore uh, late last night, late uh, Monday night for ChicagoTribune.com. And just just talking about the the what the Bears hope that means in terms of a quarterback staying resilient enough to overcome uh, two self-inflicted wounds to lead his team on a game-winning drive when they absolutely had to have it on the road and then to hit that pass to DJ Moore. And, and you, you're in the moment there and you feel the energy that that brought to the locker room, the juice that was inside that locker room with not only Justin feeling fulfilled with being able to bounce back, but his teammates feeling good for him. And that's a testament to what he means to those guys in the locker room. And I, I, I can't stress this enough that from a character standpoint and a football character standpoint, Justin Fields is a plus plus. You know what I mean? Like the guy in terms of leadership qualities and the ability to um, keep the belief of everyone around him, even when it may not even be fully justified, it's significant. It's got to be part of his evaluation because it does show up in those moments late. And you don't see a defense kind of rolling their eyes at me and like, my God, how long do we got to carry you? You know, until you until you finally make this play. And so there, there is that. But then, like I say, I filed my column and I was I was, you know, riding back to the hotel and thinking a lot about stuff and, and thinking, okay, so what really happened in the late stages of that game? And what happens if the Bears defense didn't do its job after the second fumble? What if the Vikings had done their job and taken that key turnover, which they got in plus territory, and turned it into any kind of points? Even a field goal drive now makes it a, a, a game situation where the Bears need a touchdown to beat you. And the Vikings' inability to get anything more than a three and punt, and then, by the way, a bad punt, where it was shanked out of bounds at the 22-yard line, optimized the Bears to go on that that game-winning drive. The play before Justin Fields hits DJ Moore for the 36-yard biggest play of the game, both in gain and significance, Justin could have been called for intentional grounding. Yeah. He's frantically rushed in the pocket and trying to get rid of it and throws a ball that, that doesn't get back to the line of scrimmage. And it's a play that Kevin O'Connell argued the Vikings have been called for unintentional grounding earlier in the game. So if the refs pull that flag out and what could have been a very legitimate penalty, now all of a sudden it's loss of down and you're facing third and 28 and the game's probably over. And the entire narrative of this conversation is over. So it makes you ask the question, what is that one completion to DJ Moore worth? And then I go one step further with that, and I go, well, how hard was that completion? The Vikings kind of blew a coverage, and they left the Bears' top receiver wide open in the mid of, middle of the field in the zone coverage, and the quarterback with minimal pressure because his seven-man protection was able to stonewall a four-man rush, ripped a fastball on target, <laughs> numbers high into DJ Moore's hands, 23 yards downfield. And he, he gets 13 more after the catch to, to push them further into field goal range. And this is what I kept coming back to. And you'll remember the game in Denver week two of 2019, when after a really sloppy low scoring affair, Mitch Trubisky hit one pass to Allen Robinson to set up a, a deep Eddie Pinero field goal that, that won the bears a game. And in the moment it was so powerful to feel the emotions. Everybody was loving Eddie money and, Pinero De Niro and Mitch stepped up when he needed to, despite struggling for week one and most of week two. And it was all this stuff. And then seven, eight weeks down the road, it didn't mean a damn thing. Right. And so I'm careful to, you know, not think that, okay, this is like a breakthrough. It's like, okay, good. Like I'm, I'm pleased for Justin in the offense that they got it done in the game on the line situation. Now let's see it again. And then let's see it again after that. And let's see it again after that, because 
Trend-wise, it, it was uh, traditionally a, a situation where the Bears had been failing in those game-on-the-line situations, including Monday night, when they failed in a game-on-the-line situation. Yeah, until I think they succeeded. that's fair. I, I understand that. And, and that's, you know, the, the benefit of, of, of a little bit more time and distance yeah. from, from the what happened. I think what you said is also – we could have the same conversation about a lot of failed fourth-quarter drives. Sure. And, you know, football is the result is the result at the end. There's there's always extenuating circumstances. They're always fascinating hypotheticals. I mean, football, uh, football is is a game full of randomness, just like every sport. And and I think what we do, what we typically are trained to do, because this is the way the teams react, is that you judge outcomes and you judge results and you're rewarded and, and you pay the consequences for those results. And just as we have made our judgments on Justin Fields based on his inability to make that simple throw as easy as it might have been a pitch and catch in the past when he wasn't doing that for whatever reason, we held it against him. And we kept on saying that what he needs to do is what he did Monday night. And there are a lot of things that contributed to why he was able to do it. And maybe it, it diminishes the level of the challenge or how difficult it really was but he still did it. So I don't think that I want to get into the point, at least just speaking for me, you know, making these assumptions based on something that didn't happen. I'm going to try to be judging him and judging the bears on, on what did no question results oriented opinions. Um, and based on those results, I gotta be fair. It, it, it doesn't tell me, Oh boy, you know, he's the man. It tells me, well, okay, five games left. If this is his closing argument, we're still deliberating if I'm on, on a football jury. It goes in the plus category without yeah. question. But the other things that did happen were those fumbles. You know, and the, the first one, which he, he acknowledges, you know, four snaps earlier, Roshan Johnson gets the ball punched out as the Bears are trying to go down for a, a field goal drive that would have put them up by two scores. And Justin says to him in the huddle immediately afterward, look, man, like ball security is the biggest thing here. And then four steps later, he puts it on the ground, you know, in a situation where, where he gets rushed and uh, gets it slapped out. And you lose a fumble in a situation where I think everyone in the world knew at that point that the Vikings were going to go score a touchdown right like it was just the, the sentiment like okay you know you just left the door open there they go uh the second one was just even more like I, I could feel in the press box at u.s bank stadium the collective stomach of chicago drop you know what i mean when, when that hit was made and that ball scored it out i could feel an entire city's stomach drop in that moment going oh my god this guy got out on the run on a really nice scramble got hit and lost a football on a, on a potential game-winning drive, and here we go. Now, look, again, like he gets the extra chance. But those moments all sandwiched together in a fourth quarter leaves you scratching your head because there's been so many turnovers in the fourth quarter. You add two more to them to, to the total uh, last night. And, and, like, I just don't think I woke up on Tuesday morning feeling like the Justin Fields decision for the people that matter most at Hallis Hall – was made any clearer by anything that happened on, on Monday night. I don't disagree with that. I think though, this is, this is what, this is what we've been saying though, pretty consistently all along. I mean, every week does not have to be a referendum on Justin Fields franchise quarterback. And and I think that it would be a mistake to exaggerate how important that completion was in terms of making any long-term projection for fields, just as I think it would be, premature to say, think that, you know, 
by the same token, the second fumble, if you're like, okay, we're done. I think that it's an ongoing evaluation. And what happened on uh, Monday night against the Vikings, I think that both sides, you know, both sides of the Justin Fields argument, he can be the guy, he'll never be the guy. They got ammunition. Yeah. They, they, they can be the guy like, hey, look, you know, 36 yards, DJ Moore. Hey, look, he's resilient. Football character matters. Leadership is big in a quarterback. Okay. Then the guy's like, well, no, that's never going to work because oh, those fumbles, those fourth quarter fumbles. And did you see he overthrew Darnell Mooney and almost got him killed? You know, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's just it's just an ongoing evaluation where you'd love to have conclusions. But if you're Ryan Poles, you're sitting there and like, yeah, your your stomach drops when he fumbles and then your your blood pressure uh, rises when he succeeds and makes that connection because like, oh, he could be the guy. It was it was the, the essence of sports, and it was great, actually, theater and drama. But what does it mean moving forward? Wait and see. We can't really conclude yet because it's an ongoing process. It's my understanding that Joe Buck didn't feel like it was great theater <laughs> based, <laughs> based on some of the reports I had heard. But look like... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I think we are heading to a point here very soon now. The calendar is about to flip to December, which is the month that precedes January. The Bears have a lot of big decisions ahead uh, starting in January. And I we're headed to a point where I can't imagine if I were Ryan Poles getting much sleep with the gravity of the decisions that I would have to make. And you said something earlier about Matt Eberflus coaching this defense up in a way that potentially gives him an argument to keep his job beyond 2023. And I can't separate the coaching decision from the quarterback decision. And I think that's where this whole thing gets really peculiar and really interesting and really fascinating as it relates to Ryan Poles' mindset and philosophies, because those two decisions, I, like, I think in an ideal world, you would like to evaluate those two men in those two positions independently. And I don't think you can in this situation. And I think that's a weird, weird place to be in as a franchise. That's interesting because I, I would maybe counter if we go down that road. Okay. Say Matt Eberflus has the defense, 
in three weeks or near the end of the season, say the Bears overall a top 10, top five defense, which is conceivable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the way they're trending and they're getting more turnovers and takeaways and they're playing with the style that he promised when he took the job. But boy, you know, the Bears keep throwing the ball horizontally and they can't stretch the field vertically and they keep setting new lows for, you know, 21 passes hour behind the line of scrimmage, the, the, the highest number since 2000, according to ESPN. And you're getting frustrated with what your play caller is doing because you don't see that trust or that connection or that relationship between the quarterback and the play caller. What about, okay, Matt, we love you, uh, the way you've changed his defense. We, we can't stand the way that this offense is going. We're going to, you can stay, but you got you to gotta get a new offensive coordinator. What do you think about that possibility? Because, look, we're five games out, and there are a lot of range of possibilities here, and I think that could be one of them. You have seen that before, and you wonder about his allegiance to, Matt, to Luke Getze, um, and you wonder about the connection between Matt Eberflus and Getze. So, do you, I mean, do you make that decision before you make the quarterback decision, or do you make the quarterback decision before you make the coach decision? There's a lot. This is where that's where I mean where it gets complicated here because you have to figure out what direction you're going at with the most important position on your roster, and then that in turn sort of sets off a domino effect in what your options are elsewhere. Because if you decide to keep the coaching staff in full, say that you say Matt and Luke, you're coming back. Well. Now, all of a sudden, you're either setting up for a, a, an absolute commitment to Justin Fields and staying on the same path that you've been on, which is obviously going to create some divides in the city, or you're asking this regime to then take on the task of developing a new quarterback, and you seem like you're back at square one, which is where you were when uh, you know you you had this regime take over Justin Fields' development after Matt Nagy got to draft him. You know what I mean? It's all this kind of roundabout game board that, that leads to the same place strong clear and simple that's the way you have to make your decision if you're if you're in a leadership position at house hall you make the decision on the coach first there are too many variables involved with the draft and the draft process and the scouting and the combine and the, and the pro days and the visits and the health screening and all the things and the agents I, I think you make the decision on the coach first and you delay the decision on the quarterback until you have to make a decision on the quarterback. You've got five games left, and then what? We're all going to be sitting there the day after the season like, okay, what do you got? What do you think of Justin Fields? That's not realistic. I think it is realistic when it comes to the coach. And you have to wonder, uh, or, or you have to – what we don't know is the connection between Brian Poles and Matt Eberflus and that allegiance and where Kevin Warren comes into play. Mm -hmm. And, and the damage that Matt Eberflus has done on a weekly basis to his image of credibility by the way he represents the, the, the organization behind the microphone. That's not insignificant. Now, his defense and the performance of his team certainly outweighs that and is more important, but all the things are going to factor in. But I do think you make the decision on the coach before you make any determination about the quarterback unless what happens over the next five weeks makes up your mind on the quarterback uh, before you have to worry about that, definitively, right, one way or yeah. the other. So, but yeah. but look, like you acknowledge that it's this. This is a a complicated zone that they're oh, yeah. about to walk into, no doubt. And, and and like you know, welcome to the job, Ryan Poles. Like, good luck trying to get this all right and figure it out. Um, and it's going to be fascinating to unfold. Do you want to talk a little bit uh, about the the lateral passing game because we got some more insight on uh, Tuesday afternoon from Eddie Berflus at Hallis Hall, and I know that was a point of contention I, for a lot of people in our audience. I would love to hear more about what Matt Eberflus had to say in explaining what was a frustrating, frustrating thing to watch. And I interpreted it without 
before I heard what he had to say on Tuesday afternoon as a lack of trust between the play caller and the quarterback or the play. The, Justin Fields is not a game manager. And when you have 21 passes at or behind the line of scrimmage, you're treating him like one. And basically you're saying, we don't trust you to throw the ball down the field. Maybe that's an overreaction, but that was my first one. So this is another discussion that I think is, is layered and nuanced in, in a very meaningful way, because I felt that there was a level of dismay that mushroomed on social media Monday night that was incongruent with what was being felt inside the building, particularly on the Bears sideline. After the game, I specifically talked to Justin and Matt and Cole Komet and DJ Moore and all of those players in, in the chess match that went on Monday night went into that chess match understanding that this was going to be a different game plan. The Bears tried something completely different six weeks ago against the Vikings, and we know what the results were. The passing attack was completely stymied. The quarterback was flustered. He was sacked a bunch, pressured more, and then hurt his thumb and missed a month of the season. They had to make an adjustment with their game plan to account for all of the pressure and the heat that Brian Flores was going to bring and the way that they bring it from both sides and, and, and doing things where it's either bringing everybody or showing it and then dropping out. And, and that like that, the play that Justin got hurt on was it show it all and then drop back and then make the quarterback make decisions, which this quarterback over three seasons and 30 plus starts hasn't been great at. We asked Luke Getze to adjust. We asked him to do, to do these things to, to more, uh, suitably put his players in position to succeed. And that's the, the, the path they chose for that game on Monday night. Now, were there too many horizontal passes? Probably. Was it this disastrous game plan that it seemed to be made out to be in, in forums on social media? Absolutely not. I mean, Justin Fields surpassed his passing yard total. I think it was on the second drive from the first time that he played the Vikings six weeks ago when he had seven possessions and, and two and a half quarters. So they obviously got some things unlocked that they didn't unlock in the first game and now it's a matter of just finding the balance and so on Tuesday we had a chance to circle back with Matty Berflus who gave us some thoughts after the game on Monday but usually a coach has a little bit broader of a perspective after he rewatches the film and Kevin Fishbane started by asking you know why weren't there more slants or shots over the middle and Matt was very forward and saying look like he described it as packing the paint in terms of what the Vikings defense does at times with with putting a coverage together that's got three three deep in the secondary and two guys across the middle that takes away some things. And so he, he thought that it was wise of them to attack to the perimeter. He thought spitting the ball out, which was his phraseology for the last several days to the skill on the outside and doing that would do things to loosen up the Vikings defense. I asked him as a follow-up when you rewatched it, did you still find the balance of hitting some of those things horizontally while still stretching the field? And his indication was that he thought that there were more explosive plays that were there and more explosive opportunities to have plays down the field. And whether it was something that they checked out of or, or receivers that they just didn't see, they didn't get what they wanted. Now he said they had eight explosive plays on the night. I went back and tried to count by my metrics and I didn't get to eight. Uh, and so I think it was just a, a calculated game plan to account for this specific defense. You're going to get a different test in week 14 when the, the Lions come to town, a totally different test when you go to Cleveland, another test when the Cardinals come here. And so you're going to be playing different different games each week. Um, I'll turn it over to you for, for kind of your reaction oh, on I, the in-house explanation yeah, of, of how I, I that get the explanation. I think is a, it's, it's an overcorrection. I mean, I, I understand football and how it works. I mean, 21 is, is excessive. If that were between 12 and 15 or 10 and 12, I mean, I would get that 
tendency to do that to account for the things that he described 21 times. I mean, so a lot of the passing yards were were yards that came after the catch, the Which lateral. The goal. Yeah. So you could say that that maybe worked that way. Uh, it, it was it was productive. But but I but I think that DJ Moore had 11 catches, 114 yards. Yeah, he had 11 catches. It was great, and he we, we, we've it, demanded that the, the best receiver touch the ball a lot and be productive, right? Yeah, but you got to admit, I mean, this is like saying that you, th- this is not the way that it's typically done. I mean, this is unorthodox, to- totally unorthodox to get 11 catches and get your guy involved, your number one guy involved that way. I, I just don't think that you're going to make much progress against good teams unless you can throw the ball down the field. And yes, yesterday they proved once, one time really, that they can throw the ball down the field when they had to. The rest were very horizontal, and eventually that becomes redundant. And I I, I just think that, you know, it, it to me it was like, well, I just, I just think it was too many. And I, and I don't think – I think it was – it was just excessive, excessive number. 21 is a lot out of how many pass plays. They ran 68 plays, and 21 of those pass plays were at or behind the line of scrimmage. You were talking, you know, that's that's Third, a little yeah. bit around 30 to 30%. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, look, I, I, I won't push back heavily on that. It's just I think it's fair. Um, and look, like you, you have an intricate understanding of all this. Uh, it's helpful to bring it to, to the listeners as well in, in a way that, that, that they hopefully understand philosophically what, what the intent was. My favorite play of the night is uh, outside of the 36-yarder to DJ Moore is the completion to Cole Komet on fourth and 10. There's several reasons why that was. Number one, you converted fourth and 10 on a play where Cole did a great job of getting out in a pattern after staying in to, to, to be help uh, on the pass protection. Justin did an amazing job of feeling pressure from his left side, where we heard this before against the Vikings and drifting to his right in order to make that throw throws wide open. He gets there. You push, you, you push the ball down the field. Not only did they convert four, fourth and 10, but just a couple minutes earlier, it was second and 27. You know what I mean? And so for this offense to go ahead and overcome second and 27 and get a first down and continue that drive and go down and score points, that's strides in the right direction. There's things that you're seeing from Justin Fields right now that are undeniable, um, signs of growth. Right. We've talked about the scramble and throw aspect, you know, extend plays with your legs and then make it with your arm. Did that three or four times on, on uh, Monday night, including the first play of the game winning drive to DJ Moore, which is a 16 yarder that goes overlooked because of the way the game ended really nice play to extend a play and then find his guy and, and, and laser it. The question is just this hourglass that we keep talking about is how much time is left to show enough growth to change the minds of the people that have to make these landmark decisions within a matter of, you know, six or seven weeks here. And so this is uh, it, it's all fascinating because it's all quickly leading to a climax of a movie that I think we all wish could last another two, three hours. <laughs> and let's face it. I mean, there, there's also an element of reality that seeps in is that your evaluation of Justin Fields will also be dictated by where you are drafting and how you evaluate the Correct. potential replacements because life is all about what your alternative is. So if you don't have a better alternative after you've scouted Caleb Williams uh, or after you've scouted Drake May or maybe you've looked at the free agent class of quarterbacks, my sense is it's only going to be a drafted quarterback that high that would threaten Justin Fields uh, as, you know, the as a starting quarterback for the Bears. So you know, we could get to the end of the season and he could show some signs of growth, some signs of inconsistency still. And yet we're not going to really know, perhaps, uh, if it's still kind of vague 
what they think until they go through the betting process of both those quarterbacks who are available. And I, and I don't know the answer to those questions. I know what I think by watching Saturdays. Yeah. You, you don't really know that much by watching Saturdays in glimpses because we haven't seen or studied that enough to have a real informed opinion that's worth anything. And this is another factor in this whole decision. The Bears, with their own pick, may wind up picking like eighth. You know what I mean? They may win a couple more games against weak opponents down the stretch and, and improve their record to a point where they're there. And if, say, they had gotten to the end of the season and the Panthers had not fallen apart in a way that made them fire their coach after 11 games, and say they were picking like ninth, and they, the Bears had the eighth and ninth pick, that also changes the dynamics of what decisions are available to you. And it may change the dynamics of what decision you ultimately make. And so, like I say, they have the, the, this freedom right now that in some ways is empowering. In some ways, it could be paralyzing because, my God, like now you've got so many things that you can consider. And it's very rare that an NFL general manager walks into an offseason with the complete array of every possible decision available to him. And yeah, that's true. I don't know if that's a good problem or a bad problem. <laughs> right, right. Like it's it's a, it's probably a good problem to have, but it's not one I would want. <laughs> right, right. All right, so. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's let's have a couple uh, words on the defense before we get out of here. Because yeah, I do think that to me, um, when you hold the team to ten points, you you should win every time out. Uh, it, the fact that they won a game for the first time without scoring a touchdown in thirty years is somewhat <laughs> remarkable. Dave Wanstead was talking about that on Tuesday morning on the Mullen Haw Show. He was a coach the last time it happened, October third, nineteen ninety three, against the Falcons. Two Kevin Butler field goals. Do you know who the quarterback was that day? Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, they beat the Falcons six to nothing. Well, and lest you not forget, because everyone was bringing that game up in the tunnel after the game, lest you not forget that there was another Monday night miracle that happened where the Bears didn't score an offensive touchdown in Arizona in 2006. I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying. <laughs> that was the second 2006 reference I heard today. Olin Cruz mentioned something on, on the Mullen Haw show, too. So defensively, I felt like everybody in the secondary played well. I don't know about Eddie Jackson, to be honest with you. I think it, there was two plays that stood out to me that maybe are unfair until you watch it closely. The again. touchdown for sure. The touchdown, you, you can't stay, you can't keep that depth in the end zone. There's nobody that's going to hurt you there to catch the ball in front of you. It's six. Uh, I don't understand defensive backs who can't realize that better than they seem to. He did not get that. TJ Hawkinson scored. Another angle on another running back. He looked like he was an unwilling tackler. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't make a business decision. Other than that, Brisker with a pick. Kyler Gordon really is emerging as a physical player, more so than you would think looking at his frame. Terrell Smith, eight tackles. I know they were picking on him because they were going opposite Jalen Johnson. But, Dan, he was, he, I thought he was solid and reliable. Um, 
And Jalen Johnson, he dropped the pick six. He had the defensive holding. Those are negatives, but I do think he was everywhere and he was very efficient and exceptional in his coverage. And so that secondary played in a way that makes you want to trust it each and every time. So the Matador tackle that Eddie Jackson missed that you, you mentioned, that was even more glaring from the press box because you're just seeing that whole play unfold and you're like, oh, just, ooh, wow, ooh, wow. got left in the dust there. <laughs> it was one of those where you're like, wow, that was jarring. Eddie Jackson also gets credit for a pass breakup on the first pass of the game, which was not a pass breakup. Jordan Addison caught that football. The Vikings should have challenged and did not and cost themselves a 46-yard gain on the first play of the game when, as you mentioned, the, the Vikings went after Terrell Smith to test him out right away. Um, Look, like the secondary did great things for the second straight week. They've got seven picks in two games here. Uh, you'd have to go back a hundred years to find, uh, you know, a surge like this. Not that long, but um, it's been impressive. And they probably should add another pick six by Jalen Johnson, who, by the way, I asked after the the game on Monday night about that one that he missed. I mean, that is a, a, a gift wrapped pick six that he dropped and he had no excuses. He just said, I don't know what's going on with my hands right now. They're not good. And I got to go work on them. And I think he's right. Like I know Darnell Mooney's first purchase as a professional football player was a jugs machine that he put in his house. Jalen may want to uh, come back from wherever he's vacationing on the buy early and get over to Darnell's house for some more, some more balls in the jugs machine. But he did look like that first interception, big deal. Uh, he was also, responsible for the ricochet that resulted in TJ Edwards interception yep. later in the game. So a lot of good stuff on, on, on tape by Jalen right now. I just wonder like if we were sitting here and had a two game span where he had four interceptions and two pick sixes, what we'd be talking about in terms of what that was going to, going to cause uh, cost Ryan pulls out of his checkbook. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, the, the definitely you pay for those kind of plays. And, and I think that, uh, He's solid, but if you want to be spectacular, you got to make those plays. The linebackers were active. T.J. Edwards uh, has been their most consistent tackler and linebacker. Tremaine Edmonds flashed on a couple plays up front. You know, you saw Dexter be more visible, and and Justin Jones had the deflection, and then Montez Sweat dominated. I think he was dominant, or at least he was one of those things that you say in terms of being a multiplier. He looked yeah. like he was a multiplier on Monday night against the Vikings. What have I asked for from Montez Sweat? I've asked to feel his presence in every half of every game. That box was checked on Monday night without question. I also thought it was notable that Ryan Poles told the uh, Bears official pregame show uh, before Monday night's game that he spoke with Matt Eberflus specifically about having his best players on the field for key situations. So avid listener of the podcast, Ryan Poles, got the message from Take the North hosts, David Haw and Dan Weederer, went to his coach, had a discussion about having your best players on the field in big moments, and uh, it, I don't know that it translated right away, but at least the discussion was had. What do you think about that in terms of him talking as openly as he did about it, volunteering that information, and what it means in terms of the general manager communicating with the head coach who he wants on the field? You know, honestly, the first thing I thought about when I listened to those comments was Matt Eberflus wanted to take this job as an overseer. And in September of this year, they had to watch their defensive coordinator walk out the door with a abrupt and mysterious resignation. And Matt has now had to take on duties that prevent him from having a wide lens on everything that he probably needs to have a wide lens on. Right. And I think one of those things is, wait, hey, fellas, 
How come on, how come Tez isn't in the game? Instead of looking down at your sheet and figuring out what coverage you're going to call, what pressure you're going to bring on the next play, you can take a wider lens and you know who's in and out of there. And right now he's juggling so many duties that I think that's one of those things that slips through the cracks. I applaud Ryan Pulse for being honest about it. I applaud him for going to his coach and saying, look, man, like I just gave up a second round pick and 60 plus million dollars in guaranteed money to this guy. Let's let him win us football games, you know? And it's going to help all of us if you if you have them out there. Something they got to get remedy. They've got five more games, and obviously, uh, talking about it, acknowledging the problem is the first step in solving the problem. So, what was it like inside a winning locker room? It's been a while since the Bears had won a game in the division since they won a game on the road in that kind of setting. Uh, anything stand out about covering a winning locker room? at U.S. Bank uh, Stadium. Well, you mentioned it. Long time since they had last won a division game alone, just a straight-up division game. The last time they won a division game, guess what? There was a embattled coach the week of Thanksgiving on the road in Detroit in a low-scoring game who won a game with a late Cairo Santos field goal in the final seconds. So the symmetry between <laughs> that division win that Matt Nagy had in the Patch.com week. The Patch.com game. Yes. Yeah, the Patch.com week. Patch.com bowl. On Thanksgiving Day and what the Bears did last night in stealing a win that, that, you know, I mean, look, like I think we're all of the belief with five minutes ago in that game where it was like neither of these teams really deserves to win this game. It's been a a, a tough to watch display of football and somebody's going to walk out of here with a victory. But the players, I think, feel a sense of reward of finally getting that finishing touch, you know, and I think when you talk to the leaders, the guys who kind of rally this group. They know that it has to be consistent. They know that this has to happen far more often, but you certainly want to get one in your back pocket to be able to reflect back on when you get in another moment that way. And so I think there was some tangible satisfaction in that locker room Monday night for finally crossing that bridge, you know, and getting on the winning side of one of these game close games. Now you got to do it a couple times down the stretch to start to build that, that juice and that belief that we talk about, because look like, again, like the 2021 Lions won a couple games late that everyone in that building harkened back to as something that helped them when they got on their run in 2022, which ultimately became the catalyst for this dream season they're having in 2023. So it's never too early to start building your championship habits and your winning mindset. Anything else that we haven't talked about that happened Monday night on Monday Night Football uh, or Tuesday at Howells Hall in the aftermath of the Vikings' 12-10 to 10 victory over Minnesota? Yeah, the only other couple things in my notepad here. Number one, Tevin Jenkins obviously left the field for a couple offensive series. He said after the game to a, a, a pool of reporters that it was a stinger again. He looked to be in significant discomfort. He and remember, he had that, that stinger a year ago in the game. I think it was against the Eagles where he left – Soldier Field and, and had to go to the hospital temporarily. So Tevin's coming back into that game was a big deal. He's continuing to play good ball, but that's something to to keep an eye on as we go forward. And then I was curious what your thoughts were on the the fourth and seven decision by Kevin O'Connell on the other sideline to go for it. Uh, Eddie Jackson kind of acknowledging to to Brad Biggs after the game that looked like we were a little bit surprised by that. We thought they were just going to try to draw us into a penalty situation. And then when they snapped the ball, we had to go make a play and they made a, make a play. They did and got off the field resulting in good field position that the, the offense turned into points. I like Kevin O'Connell, but that was a dumb decision. You, you start out uh, on the first series of the second half and the first four minutes of the second half and the last four of the first half are when games are typically won 
or you look for momentum swings, and he gave it back to the Bears. Now, if you make it, you look like a genius, but you got Josh Dobbs, a quarterback, and you're in a game that's going to be a tight one. I don't understand why he didn't play the field position game at that point. Fourth and seven isn't fourth and two, isn't fourth and three. Not as easy to make, so I was a little surprised, and, and I think he kind of gifted that one, that possession to the Bears. Look, for a while, the Bears weren't taking advantage of these opportunities, so maybe that was in the back of his mind. Uh, it, it was that it was going to come down to which team wanted it less. <laughs> the, yeah. That was that was a story of the game. It was as confusing as Matt Eberflus's inconsistency <laughs> early fourth and ten. Oh, let's go for it! You know, down they get the seven yard line. Let's kick the field goal. I don't know that it was a clinic on head coaching acumen uh, on Monday night, and that Kevin O'Connell decision. Uh, to start the third quarter was just just another example. And maybe that decision is a little bit different if there's a guy in a number 18 jersey wearing purple. By the way, footnote for all Bears fans, Justin Jefferson was activated off of injured reserve today. The Bears dodged him for two games. Uh, and so, yeah, we will have a little bit of a, a small footnote on that victory from Monday night. No Kirk Cousins, no Justin Jefferson. And the Bears still escaped with a, a, a two-point victory. But, man, that's uh, I, I wonder if, in retrospect, they regret not having Justin Jefferson available to them for even a half dozen plays. You know, that could have made a, made a difference in that football game because I think they, uh, they fall to 500 with the loss and with, with their playoff chances kind of on that that wobbly balance beam they've got to figure out a way to, to play strong down the stretch I also probably regret not having number 28 on the field Adrian Peterson was in the building oh yeah as I saw but he's a sure <laughs> guy but uh they could have used him probably on a couple of occasions yeah the Vikings fully regrets and kind of at a crisis because they're six and six they don't look like a playoff team though even though they're in the standings and in the picture Nick Mullins might get the job over Josh Dobbs because mm -hmm. Josh Dobbs just really has gotten to be a turnover machine. You can't tolerate that. Anyway, right. that's the Take the North podcast on the Minnesota version. Yeah. Uh, well, else well, yeah. There. One last thing on the Minnesota version, because this was the first time I was at U.S. Bank Stadium since Kevin Warren was hired as the president. And so I took a little bit longer uh, before the game on Monday to examine a bunch of crevices and pockets of that stadium. Uh, it just reiterated my belief that the Bears need to speed up their stadium process, because when you go into a building like that and you compare it to where the Bears have been playing their football at home at Soldier Field with the, the, the differences in environment, the differences in the game day production, the differences in amenities for fans, the difference in everything that you experience in that stadium, you're just like, we need one of those here for the Chicago Bears, and it needs to accelerate. We need that to open as soon as possible. So uh, some cool stuff uh, kind of walking around that 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 building with a, with a new kind of perspective on Monday night. Maybe next time we'll talk about what Kevin role, Kevin Warren's role will be moving forward. As, as Albert Breer alluded to last week, as you kind of have good insight into the man, maybe we'll talk about that moving forward. There have been a lot of stuff swirling out there about what he will be doing in terms of – his involvement uh, in the offseason and those key decisions. So that would be a good topic for the next podcast. I think we all, we're all set for this one, though, because we covered yep. a lot of ground. All right. So for Dan Weeder, for Adam Szynski, our producer, I'm David Haw. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. You can get it on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us on 670 Scores' YouTube page. We'll be back later in the week. And we also will be on the score, 670 The Score and 670score.com on your free Odyssey app Saturday at 2 o'clock Central Time. You can listen to a half an hour best of the Take the North podcast. You can hear us again if you're out running errands or whatever you do on Saturday afternoons. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Great talk. See you out there.